Well, good morning, Central Church. How are you today? All right, I'll take that. If you're watching online this morning at our, in our Facebook Live or our website, we're so glad you're joining us today. Those of you that are here live, take out your, your white bulletin insert. There's some information I want to draw to your attention. Here at Central, we love kids. We love ministering to kids, and we have an amazing children's ministry team. Uh, hundreds of volunteers that, that week in and week out invest in the lives of, of your children, if you have children in our, in our uh, Kids Central. Um, but we need more than just the, the amazing team that we have. And we believe here at the church that it's our responsibility as the body of Christ to partner with parents, not to take the full responsibility for teaching your children God's Word and God's truth and, and providing the primary spiritual nurture, but that's your responsibility. And so our commitment is to come alongside you and to work with you and to help you raise your, your children in, in the ways of Christ. And so as we hit the summer, like you guys, many of our children's ministry team like to get away. They like to take vacation. And so the number of, of bodies that we have serving in our children's ministry decreases. And, and we've been hit pretty hard in June uh, with the need for people to step up. So we are asking you as parents, in fact, I'm going to put the, the QR code here on the screen and the, the link there to the website, because we, we want you to step in and, and fill a number of slots that we have in June and even through the summer uh, to help us nurture uh, your kids. Um, one of the things that we, that we emphasize here is, is investment in the lives of children. And so would you be willing to make an investment into the lives of those that we serve? And if so, you can go on the website, use that QR code, and, and let us know. This, this would be extended to not just parents, but grandparents, siblings in the family that are, that are old enough to step in and help. And, uh, and we're just in a point of need where we, we need you to work with us, walk with us, uh, partner with us in the nurturing of the children that God has, has blessed us with. Amen? All right. If you have a prayer request this morning, you can tear that, the perforation on, on that um, information card and the thin portion at the very top, write down your prayer request. When you exit this morning, there are boxes attached to the walls at every exit. You can just drop that in there and we'll get that on the prayer list this week. We have dozens of people every week that pray over these requests. So if you'd like prayer this week, please put that down. Um, let's pray this morning. God, thank you for the power of your word. Thank you that it, it gives us life, it gives us direction, it gives us hope. Um, it, gives, it builds our faith. And so, Lord, this morning as we open the Scriptures, as we read the Scriptures, as we study the Scriptures, I pray that our faith would be built. I pray that your Word would create a standard of conduct that we can, by grace, live up to, and that you would help us to do that, Lord, today in the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, it's great to have you. 95 degrees in June. Come on, somebody. This is what we've been waiting for. And the few of you that like snow, eh, sorry about that. This is living right here. And people are saying, ah, it's going to go on for weeks. Yes, it's going to go on for weeks and weeks. It's never going to end. 95, no humidity. That's what I'm talking about. Wow, this is glory. This is revival. Jesus must be ready to come back. Getting all excited. <laughs> Open your Bibles, if you have one, to, to the Gospel of John chapter 12. If you, if you need a Bible, there's probably one in the seat back pocket in front of you or under the seat if you're up front here. I want you to not only look in John chapter 12, but I want you to look in, in uh, put your finger there, and then go back two books to the book of Mark chapter 14. We're going to look at the same story in two different versions. 
Mark 14, Gospel of John chapter, chapter 12. It's always good to have a, a visible example of things that we need to do in life and, and things that we need to do well. So you can go on YouTube and find videos to fix almost anything in your house, to fix your car. If you don't know how to do something, there, there's a visual, visible example of how to do something to help you do it right or to do it better. So Pastor Nathan Pruitt, the, 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 the guy that was up here at the beginning of the service sharing with you about Ethiopia, a couple of months ago, he shared a report about one of our ministries up here. And I was so impressed by the way he shared it. And it was, a couple of the things I thought were really cool was we talk about, we, we don't like to use insider, insider language when we're up front, meaning if you, if you haven't been a Christian for 20 years or if you haven't been a part of Central for 20 years, you're not going to understand what we're saying. We, we try to communicate in a way that anybody would understand, whether they're new to the church, not a Christian, never been to Central before. Um, and so I thought he really communicated uh, not using insider language. The other thing was I thought he was really inspiring. I thought it was motivating for us to get involved in that ministry, and it was very informative. He just laid out the, the facts and the information. I just thought it was a great job. So I asked our tech team, can you just give me that video clip of Nathan doing that announcement? I want to take it to our leadership team, and I want to show my, my leadership team what a job well done is in terms of presenting something to the congregation, because whether you're preaching a sermon, doing communion meditation, giving an announcement, or whatever it is, we want to do that with excellence. And, and there's a few things that need to go into preparation for doing that. So I took it to my leadership team. I said, hey guys, just look at this, and you tell me what's really good about this. What did Nathan do really, really well? And so we went around and talked a little bit about, about the, you know, the good things that he did, why it was successful, why it was, you know, all of those things. I just wanted a, a visual example of something done right. When I coached high school basketball a number of years ago, instead of just explaining to my guys how to play man-to-man -man defense, I wanted them to have a good visual example. So I pulled out a Duke, University of Duke, man-to-man -man defense video. And we'd watch that video of, of the, the Duke players actually playing defense. I think, well, there we go. Um, and so they'd watch that. They, they'd watch the, you know, Coach K talking about how to play great team man-to-man -man defense. If we needed to work on shooting skills or mechanics or ball handling or something that had to do with form, then, then I'd pull out a skills video and we'd watch about the technique of, shoot, technique of shooting and we'd go over that again in practice. But, but I wanted to give them a visual example of how to do something right. And so we do that. And you know, that's what the Bible is. The Bible is filled with story after story, example after example of how to do things right and how to not do things right. And so the Bible gives us these pictures, these examples. And so in John chapter 12, that's what we have. A woman named Mary, who is the, the sister of Lazarus and the sister of Martha, is in this story. And, and in this story, she is going to take some oil, ointment, and anoint Jesus at a dinner. And let me give you a little background to this story. In chapter 11, notice we're, we're skipping chapter 11 because in chapter 11, we talked about that at Easter. Jesus had just raised Lazarus from the dead. So now we're moving into chapter 12. And in chapter 12, they're, they're throwing a dinner for Jesus in, in honor of him raising Lazarus. So we're going to see Lazarus is at this dinner, Mary's at this dinner, Martha's at this dinner. Now this story is in Matthew, Mark, and John. And there's very little variance 
in the details of the story. So scholars agree that this is the exact same story, even though there's a little bit different nuance. A few things are mentioned in one that aren't mentioned in the other. For instance, in John chapter 11, verses 1 and 2, John tells us that it was Mary, the sister of Lazarus, sister of Martha, who anointed Jesus at this dinner. When we get to Mark and Matthew, they, they just say it was a woman. They, they don't give us the name. But John wants us to know it was Mary who anointed Jesus at this dinner. So let's pick it up in John chapter 12. There's only a week left in Jesus' life. Verse 12, chapter 12, verse 1, Jesus, therefore, six days before the Passover, now remember, the Passover was the day that Jesus went to the cross. Six days away from the cross, the last nine chapters of the book of John cover one week and a few days after the resurrection. Jesus is there at this dinner where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead, and they, they made him a supper, and Martha, the sister, was serving there, as she usually was. Lazarus was reclining, sitting at the table with Jesus. Then Mary, the other sister, took a pound of very costly perfume, of pure nard or ointment or resin, and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, now let's stop there for a second, because this is a contrast in characters, Judas and Mary. And we're going to get a glimpse not only into Judas' actions, but into his heart. And it's comparing the heart of Judas with the heart of Mary. Judas Iscariot, one of Jesus' disciples who was intending to betray Jesus, said, why was this perfume not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? Now, he said this, again, insight into Judas's heart. He said this not because he was concerned about the poor, but because he was a thief, and he was in charge of the money box, and he used to steal whatever was, was put into it. Therefore, Jesus said, let her alone, speaking of Mary, who had anointed Jesus, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For you always have the poor with you, Jesus said, but you don't always have me. In other words, Jesus' death was near. He was about to be crucified. Verse 9, the large crowd of Jews then learned that Jesus was there, and they came not for Jesus' sake only, but that they might also see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. But the chief priests planned to put Lazarus to death also, because on account of Lazarus, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Skip back with me, if you would, to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14. Mark, chapter 14, same story but we're going to get a little bit different insight from Mark's perspective. Mark 14, verse 3. While Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper. Now let's stop there. Who is Simon the leper? Uh, many believe that Simon was a, a leper that Jesus had healed. And the fact that it's at his house and Martha is serving and Lazarus is there and Mary is anointing Jesus leads many scholars, because we don't know, to believe that Simon the leper was actually the father of this family, the father of Mary, the father of Lazarus, and the father of Martha. But it's, it's, it's at his house, this supper. And reclining at the table, there came a woman. Remember, John tells us this was Mary, with an alabaster vial, a very costly perfume of pure nard. And she broke the vial and she poured it over his head. Well, hold on there. Where did John say she anointed Jesus? The feet. Now, Mark gives us a little different perspective, saying that he, she also anointed Jesus 
Jesus had. But some of the disciples there, people, were indignantly remarking to one another, why was this perfume wasted? This perfume could have been sold for over 300 denarii and the money given to the poor. And they were scolding, criticizing Mary. But Jesus said, let her alone. Why do you bother her? She has done a good deed to me. For you always have the poor with you, and whenever you wish, you, uh, you, whenever you, wish you can do good to the poor. But you don't always have me. Again, a reference to Jesus' upcoming death. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. Truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is preached in the whole world, what this woman has done will also be spoken of in memory of her. All right, so visual example. What is an example of? It's an example of what true devotion to Jesus looks like. So for, for, for a few minutes, I just want to answer the question, what does true devotion to Jesus really look like? Now, when we read a story like this, you have to, you have to set this example up, and then you have to compare your life. And you have to say, okay, I, I see and I understand Mary's devotion to Jesus, and Jesus affirmed that devotion. Where am I? How do I compare with the visual example of Mary's devotion to Christ. So I want to suggest three things about Mary's devotion. The first is that it was reverent. It was reverent. So let's read the text again. While Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon the leper, he was reclining at the table, and a woman came with an alabaster vial, a very expensive perfume. She broke the vial and poured the perfume over his head. Let's look at John's gospel again. John says that she, uh, she took a very uh, expensive uh, pound of perfume, anointed the feet of Jesus, and wiped his feet with her hair. One account tells us she anointed his head. One account says that she anointed his feet, meaning probably the whole body. So why did people anoint people with oil or, or ointment or fragrance in those days? Well, there's a number of reasons. One is they would, they would anoint kings with oil. When they publicly anointed a king with oil, it was to set them apart for royal service. Now, in a secular context where this wasn't a religious king, but a, but a secular king, the people of that time believed that as the king was anointed with oil or the ointment, and, and that began to absorb into his skin, that he received divine attributes from the gods. He received power from the gods in order to lead well. Well, in the Jewish context, this was a religious people. And they didn't believe in, in multiple gods, they believed in one God. And so to the Jews, when they anointed their kings with oil, it represented the Spirit of God coming on the king to lead with justice, to lead with righteousness, to lead with truth. That there was an anointing, not just symbolically of oil, but an anointing of the Holy Spirit of God to lead well. So kings were anointed. They also anointed the dead, the deceased. They, they, would, they would put oils and ointments and spices as a sign of honor for the person that had died. So that when they put them in the tomb and after two or three days, when their body began to decompose and smell, a, a pretty horrid smell, the, the scents from the aromatic spices would offset the stench. In other words, it was, it was a, 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 a gesture on the part of the people for the dead that they would be given honor even in death, that they would, they would remain beautiful in terms of their scent even in the midst of death. So the dead, 
were anointed. Well, when, when guests would come to a Jewish home, the, the host would offer hospitality. A servant would meet the guests at the door. They would welcome them. They would, they would give them a cup of water. They would wash their, excuse me, their feet. They would, they would um, kiss them as a sign of affection and welcoming them, welcoming them into their home. And they would anoint their heads with oil to refresh their skin that had been dried as they walked through the desert heat. So, so all of those, are, so as we look at this story, Mary is now anointing Jesus at this dinner in this house. What is, what is going on? What's the thought or the purpose behind it? Well, Jesus already said in some prophetic way, Mary knowing that Jesus' death was imminent, that she was anointing him in a spiritual sense for burial. She was preparing him, his body, for death. So, so that's part of that. But, the, but the, the ointment, the oil that she used was of a far greater quality than normal. I mean, it, it was a, a lavish type of expensive ointment. And it seems that, that Mary is, is not just anointing a body, but Mary is recognizing Jesus Christ as the king. She's anointing his head like you would anoint a king for, for holy service. You see, devotion to Christ begins with a declaration that Christ is king. Have you made that declaration? I think devotion begins there with the, the, the idea, the thought that Jesus Christ is the king of, of my life. I, I think we declare Christ is king in a couple of ways. One is through worship, what we've been doing this morning. Singing in song or declaring that Jesus Christ is the King of Kings. Anointing Him with our praise. Crowning Him with our worship. I think that's one way that we declare Jesus Christ is King. And another way is simply by telling people that Jesus is our King. Telling other people that Jesus is our Lord. And Mary does both of these things in the story. In the story, as, as Jesus is sitting at the table, she takes this expensive ointment and she anoints his head. She breaks the vial and anoints his head, crowning him with her, her adoration and her praise. And she's doing it in the presence of, of many people in that room. As she does that, she is declaring to everyone around her that Christ is my king. Does your life look like that? Do you live a life of worship and adoration to Christ? Do, do your words and your praises anoint Him as the King of your life? And do you also tell people that Christ is the King of your life? So it seems that Mary was declaring Christ was King, but it also says that she anointed His feet. And remember, it was the lowest servants in a Jewish household that would welcome the guest and attend to the feet of the guest. And so Mary is essentially saying in that gesture, in, in anointing his feet, that, that I am your servant. You are my king, and I am your servant. This was, an, this was an act of service. In other words, devotion involves two things. It involves worship, and it involves service. Not, not one without the other. It's not like you worship on Sunday, you sing and praise him on Sunday, and then during the week you do whatever you want. There's this combination of, of worship the king, and serve the king. How are you doing at those two declarations that Christ is the, the king of your life? See, do you, know what happened? do you know what happens when we do those things, when we do both of those things? When we live a life of worship and praise to the Lord and we serve him with our hands, when we serve him not only with our heart but with our hands, the room of our life is filled with the fragrance of sweet devotion to Christ. Let me ask you, what does your room smell like? 
No, not your middle school son. I know what his room smells like. What does your room smell like? What does the room of your life smell like? What is the fragrance, the people in your relational world, the people in your oikos, what do they smell as you walk through life? Do they smell the, the aroma of a life given to Christ, a life of worship and dedication to Jesus? Is that the fragrance that your life gives off to those around you? It was with Mary. Her, her devotion was not only um, reverent, but it was extravagant. It was not only reverent, but it was extravagant. Let's look at what our text says. John again, chapter 12. Mary then took a pound of very expensive perfume and anointed the feet of Jesus. Very expensive, high quality, worth a lot of money. Listen to what, listen to what some scholars say about this gesture of Mary giving Jesus this expensive gift. Craig Keener says, to have expended all this on Jesus' feet is an act of lavish, excessive devotion on Mary's part. Gary Berg says, a pound of the spice would have been huge and lavish, more than enough for one person. Edward Klink says, this is therefore a ridiculously lavish amount of such fine perfume to be used all at once, especially when it was applied to just one person. There was way more than enough, and it was really expensive. When, when we come to, to Mark's story, we, we, we hear that, and, and John as well, that 300 denarii, at least, was what this ointment was worth. Now, now one denarii was a day's wage. So this is almost a year's salary. For people. What do you make in a year? What is your annual salary? In one moment, giving that away in devotion to Christ. It wasn't just Judas who felt like this was a waste. There were other people. Remember, John tells us that it was Judas. Listen to what Mark says. Mark says, but there were some others indignantly remarking to one another, why has this perfume been wasted? It could have been sold for over 300 denarii in the money given to the poor. So there were other people at this party that felt like, what is she doing? Like, what a waste. Just a little insight here. When Judas and the others say that the gift that Mary gave Christ, this alabaster of expensive ointment, they're, they're not just saying that that Mary should have sold that because it it would have been better served to give to the poor. Do you know what else they're saying? Jesus isn't worth it. This is a waste. Jesus isn't as important as the other things that we think are important in life. What do you think? Is Christ worth the extravagance of your life? See, see Mary's, <clears throat> Mary's gift given to the Lord was, was a generous gift of extravagance that people criticized her for. Let me ask about your life, <clears throat> just for a second. If people knew how much time you spent in your life do, doing everything, would they say to you, you spend way too much time for God? Like you spend way too much time at church, you spend way too much time reading the Bible, you spend way too much time uh, studying the scriptures and praying, you you spend way too much time on spiritual things. Would they say that about you? That you're wasting your life away by 
serving God if they knew how much time you spent? What about your money? If people could look at your, your you know, bank account report monthly that you get and where you spent your money, would they go, dude, are you kidding me? You're, you're spending way too much money on church and on God and on, on helping people. I mean, you, you need to cool it. Like, can you imagine all the good things you could buy if you didn't give all that money away to God? Would they say that you are reckless and generous and lavish and extravagant with how you spend your money on God? What about your public worship? Now, this was, this was Mary's public worship. Mar- Mary is worshiping Christ, expressing her devotion to Jesus. And she was accused of being reckless and extravagant. Would people say that about you? We just spend about 20 minutes in singing and praying. Would they say, dude, you're over the top, man, cool it. What's wrong with you? You're out of control. You're way too extravagant. So when we were in John chapter 4, do you remember that? I talked about Jesus Jesus said, true worshipers worship the Father in spirit and truth. And I spent a whole sermon talking about what does it mean to worship God in truth? And I went back in scripture and I listed a bunch of different biblical expressions for worship, singing and clapping and dancing and, and raising your hands and kneeling before the Lord. I mentioned all of those things. And then after I preached that sermon, we, we sang a couple of songs and you were all about it. People were lifting their hands, shouting, dancing. I mean, you were all into it. What happened? Where did it go? Why did it stop? Like in one sermon, I gave you permission, and some of you did it for a week, and then you went back to your proud conservatism. You know what I found coming from Southern California to the upper Midwest? People here take pride in their reservedness. They take pride in in being conservative, not theologically, but in their expression and devotion to God. They take pride in that. Think about the story. Jesus doesn't affirm those who are conservative. Jesus affirms the one that was reckless. Jesus affirms the one that was extravagant. Jesus says, leave her alone. She's pouring her whole life into mine. And essentially rebukes and criticizes the ones that were critical of her. Like would people say with your time, with your money, and with your public expression of love to God that you're excessive? I wonder if they're not saying that, if your devotion is where it should be. Because Jesus affirms the extravagant worshiper. It's not only reverent and it's not only extravagant, but it's sacrificial. Mary's devotion to Jesus was sacrificial. Let's look at our text. Mary then took a, very, a pound of very expensive perfume and nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. You ever think about that moment? What's what's happening here? What's the hair deal? What's that all about? Like, that's weird, right? Like, why is she wiping the excess oil and ointment off of Jesus' feet with her hair? Like, why not her hands? We'll talk about that in just a second, but... The fact that in that moment she let her hair down was a, was a big deal. Because women in those days, Jewish women, did not let their hair down in public. Women either, if they were married, wore a head covering to show that they, they were covered by their husband spiritually in their home, or they tied it up into a, a neatly wrapped bun. 
The women that let their hair down in public were either promiscuous or prostitutes. They, they were being seductive and, and trying to draw men's attention for illicit reasons. The fact that Mary lowers her hair in that context, she was taking a great risk. See, the Bible says that, that women's hair, it's her glory. And for a married woman, you didn't, you didn't need to show your glory to anybody but your husband. Your, your husband could see you in your, in your glory, in your beauty, but when you went out, you didn't draw attention to yourself. If you were promiscuous, you did that. So what is happening in the room at that moment when Mary lets her hair down? Think about it. Don't get overly spiritual on me now. She lets her hair down. She, she rubs Jesus' feet with this silky, soft anointment oil. And then she starts rubbing his feet with her hair. What are people going to think? She's being provocative. She's being seductive. She's coming on to Jesus. She's trying to allure him. What, what, what are they thinking in that moment? You see, in that moment, Mary gave Jesus a really important gift. Do you know what he gave her? He, she gave Jesus her reputation. She gave Christ her reputation because in that moment, she didn't care what other people thought. All she was concerned about was what Jesus was thinking about her in that moment. Mary, you see, loved Jesus more than she loved people. Mary was more concerned with what Jesus thought about her than what people thought about her. I wonder if we're the same. Let me ask you a question. Are you okay with people not liking you or people criticizing you because you're a follower of Christ? Are you okay with being on the outs? Are you okay with coming under criticism and rebuke and condemnation because you passionately love God? Mary was in that moment. This is going to sound funny, but I was so encouraged the last couple of weeks watching the news. How often do you get encouraged watching the news? But, but hearing some stories in the news about a couple of high school kids, a girl and a boy, they were both asked to speak at their high school graduation, their commencement service. Both of them were born-again Christians. Both of them had a deep faith in Christ. The girl was asked to submit her speech to the, to, to the administration of the school beforehand, which she did. In that speech, she said, Jesus Christ has made a difference in my life. In that speech, she said, I, I am fully devoted to Jesus. Jesus is the way of salvation, and Jesus has changed everything about me and given me hope for the future. I have hope now because of Christ. She submitted the speech. Administration rejected it. Said, you can't, this is a public school. You can't talk about your faith in Christ. You can't talk about Jesus being, you know, a, a way of salvation. You can't, you can't do that. And so she took him to court. And the court ruled in her favor. The court said, you're covered under the First Amendment. You can tell people that God has made a difference in your life. You have freedom of expression. You can do that. Yeah, amen. So she, 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 she shared her speech and got incredible backlash from the administration, many students and parents in the community. Criticized, rebuked for doing that. The young man also was asked to speak at his high school graduation. But the principal didn't ask him for his speech in advance. So he just got up there and went for it. 
He just got up there and started saying, Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Jesus is the only way to salvation. He's made a difference in me. I'm serving Christ. He's he's given me hope for the future. And was emaciated afterward. Principal, administrators, parents abused him. And I asked myself, if that was me, what would I do? Would I be willing in my community, some of those might have been small town communities, would I have been willing to suffer the criticism and rejection of families and people that I know, school administrators, students that I go to school with, because I'm a follower of Christ? Am I willing to give, like Mary, Jesus my reputation? Are you? Man, I just applaud those kids, amen? I just think, what, what, a, what amazing parents they must have. What, what, a, what an amazing church they must go to that's instilled in them such courage to preach Christ that they're not afraid of the backlash in their community. That's what Mary did. Lowered her hair, was willing to be misunderstood and criticized for the sake of devotion to Jesus. Well, Mary gave Jesus something else. Not only did she give Jesus her reputation, She gave Jesus her best. She gave Jesus her very best. Now listen. She lowers her hair. She's trying to get the excess anointing off of his feet or to rub it in. And she uses her hair. Why? Why not her hands? Well, ladies, things are really different now than they were in those days. In those days, just just to put a meal together, required a lot more. I mean, those ladies farmed, those ladies, you know, killed chickens, plucked chickens, those ladies carried heavy utensils and and did all kinds of things that would have left their hands chapped and chafed and rough. They didn't have the oils and the, 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 the lotions that you have to keep your skin so beautifully soft. And so I think Mary, in that moment, made a decision. She said to herself, what would bring the... The Lord, the most pleasure right now. My hands, my rough hands, or my hair. And I think she realized her hair, in its softness and maybe silkiness, would have created a much more pleasurable massage on his feet than her hands. She gave Christ her best. That is so challenging to me because I go through my day. And I have to ask myself, with every decision that I make, is this decision, what I'm choosing right now, is that going to bring the Lord the greatest pleasure or something else? Like, what, what, what can I do in this decision that's going to please the Lord the most? Do I get up a little bit earlier in the morning and spend a little bit of time with the Lord or sleep in? Do I come home from work a little early? Do I stay at work later? What do I do? Do I have one more beer or one more glass of wine or stop? Like, like what is going to bring the Lord the most pleasure right now in my life? The words I'm about to speak, the words that are about to come out of my mouth, are those going to bring the Lord the most pleasure? Or should I say something else? What about my attitude right now? Is this attitude pleasing to the Lord? Am I glorifying God and bringing pleasure to Him the most with this attitude? Or do I need to change my attitude? What about as fathers and mothers? 
Is, is the way I'm treating my son or my daughter right now, is that bringing God the most pleasure? Am I being the best father I can be right now? Am I being the best mother I can be right now? Am I pleasing God with how I'm treating my children right now? Or should I do it another way? Husbands and wives, the same thing. How are you treating each other? How are you speaking to your wife, men? Are the words that you speak, the attitudes that you give to your wife, are those the most pleasing to God? Or is there another way that would bring more pleasure to God as you minister to your wife? Wives, the same thing. How about the attitude you're giving your husband? How about the words you're speaking to your husband? Is that, is that really bringing God the most pleasure? And so we're constantly faced, whether we're going to school or going to work, whatever we're doing, whether we're an athlete or a musician, is what you're doing bringing God the greatest pleasure. You have to ask yourself, in every point of decision, hands or hair? Hands or hair? What's going <laughs> Okay. What's going to bring the Lord the most pleasure? As I, as I look at this story, I, I'm reminded of a terrifying reality. It's this. My life and your life is being recorded right now. Every detail of your life is being recorded in God's book. Not just your actions, but your thoughts and your intentions and your motives. They're, they're all being recorded in God's book right now. And I don't know about you, but I am forever grateful that my story is not recorded publicly like those in the Bible. Amen? So that everybody could read Jeff Wheeler's actions and Jeff Wheeler's thoughts and motivations like Judas. I mean, Judas has to live with forever. Everybody got to see into his heart. And I'm so glad that, that my life, my life story is not being made public to everyone else. But as you look at the life of Judas, remember, Judas was critical of Mary, not, not because uh, she, she didn't sell the, 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 the ointment and give it to the poor, but because Judas wanted to steal from the money box. See, this is a comparison between Judas and Mary. Mary had experienced the resurrection of her brother Lazarus from the dead. Mary had experienced renewal in her own heart as she interacted with the Lord Jesus Christ. Mary was changed. Mary couldn't give Jesus enough. She just wanted to give the Lord everything that she had. Judas, uh-uh. Judas just wanted to take. Judas' life was about selfishness and self-serving. It was all about what he could get from God, not what he could give. And Mary was just the opposite. Even when we talk about things today like children's ministry or other ministry in the church, you come to church, is your heart more like Judas? What can I get? What can I get out of the church? Or is it more like Mary? How can I anoint the feet of Jesus? How can I serve Jesus Christ and give my life away in order to bring him the greatest pleasure. Would you stand with me this morning? I just want to pray. And as we pray, just, just remember, we always fall short of God's standard. Amen? So there's no condemnation here. But there may be conviction. You may be convicted in your heart that you're not living your life in the way that God wants you to. That's good. That's okay. That should motivate you to lean into God and live life differently. Lord, we thank you this morning that your word says, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You've set us free from the law of sin and death, but there is conviction. And so, Lord, at the level that we are convicted right now about our lives, 
at the level that we're convicted that maybe we're a little bit more like Judas than we are like Mary. Oh God, by your grace, change us. By your grace, let us pour out our lives for the sake of our love for Jesus. Let us give you our reputation. Let us give you our best. Let us declare that you're the king of our life. Lord, this week as we leave this place, let us be more like Mary than Judas. As you leave this morning, just a couple of reminders. First, if you have a prayer request, drop that in one of the boxes on the, on the wall as you exit this morning. And Adam's Thermal Foundation, our partner in ministry in Ethiopia, has a table set up out these center doors and to your left. Stop by, talk with them about how you can get involved in changing a nation, whether that's financially or in prayer or in some other way that you can uh, begin to get involved. If you're, not, if you're not sponsoring one of our Ethiopian children, man, let me ask you to really consider that. And you can talk to Mike and his team out there. They'll, they'll help you with that. May you anoint Jesus as your king by pouring out the oil of your adoration and love upon his head. May you anoint his feet with the sweet aroma of extravagant devotion to the Lord. And may your devotion to Jesus be a fragrance that fills your entire world. Amen. Have a great day today.